big introduction there. Last Sunday, we started a, a series called Get in the Game, and we looked at our first message that God has given us in 1 John 3, and we found out that God has not called us to be spectators. He's called us to be servants in deed and in truth, and we don't exist to be commentators on Christianity, uh, but to be contributors to God's kingdom. And uh, now in week two, we are headed for 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And as Scott mentioned, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. I do not know, guys, if I would take his advice on it, but he did mention that it's coming up. So hopefully you already have all that covered. Uh, but just in case, throw it out a friendly reminder. Next Sunday, we have two Next Step classes available starting at 4 o'clock. Uh, class 101 is called Discovering Church Membership, and Class 201 is called Discovering Christian Maturity. And we provide dinner and child care for those who attend the classes. If you haven't signed up yet, uh, please go to servechurch.org to do that, or you can talk to a real live human person in the lobby after the service, okay? So let's read now in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse number 14. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Our message today is called Serving My Inner Circle. Yeah, the notes are provided in your bulletin. If you'd like to follow along with us, they're also on the version app. And yeah, kids, you have your own bulletin today. In 2 Corinthians 12, uh, Paul was talking to people that he already knew. He had spent time with them. He had grown close with them. They were like family to him. And serving my community well begins with serving those closest to me well. Now, my family, my close friends, my small group, the people I serve, the people I serve with, my inner circle, the people that God has placed within close proximity to me. And this passage breaks down for us the essence of Christian love. It actually describes how to serve others well, uh, I think, as, as much as any passage in the New Testament. And we're going to see it in four parts this morning, starting with love's emotion. Love's emotion. And I want you to look at the opening words of verse 14. He said, Behold, the third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. I will not be burdensome to you. Paul didn't want to be a burden to his friends in Corinth. In chapter 11 of this letter, as well as earlier in chapter 12, Paul had just described some of the hardships he had experienced during his earthly ministry. Let's just go back and look at some of them just to see what they are. So go back to chapter 11 and verse number 23. He says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I'm more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths off. Of the Jews, five times 
received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been on the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who's offended and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmity. So you can see that Paul had some infirmities, more than probably most of us have ever had. Look at chapter 12, verse number 7. He said, unless I should be exalted by measure through the abundance of the, of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness." Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So that section shows us very clearly that Paul had faced some extreme difficulties in his physical body, in his travels, in his ministry. And yet here, in our passage, in 1 Corinthians 12, 14, and 15, instead of considering his own considerable hardships, he was thinking first of the needs of others. I'm not going to be burdensome to you. And this is an attitude of humility toward the people that I know. Now, proud people don't mind being a burden to others because they aren't considering the needs of others in the first place. They're only considering their own. Entitled people are only thinking about their own desires, what the world owes them. But love's emotion is humility. Listen to this from 1 Peter 5.5. 5. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. You know, when someone is clothed with humility, he doesn't want to be a burden. He doesn't want to bring pain to others. He is willing to resolve differences. He's willing to admit faults. And I'll tell you this, when you see somebody double down on being wrong, being absolutely wrong, you can mark down that you're either dealing with a proud person uh, who refuses to accept the idea he could have made a mistake, or you're dealing with a fool uh, who in ignorance just doesn't know what he doesn't know. Okay, the, the proud side of this equation would be like me walking into somebody else's house as a guest and telling them, now, I've just arrived for the first time at their house, and I tell them that their furniture is arranged the wrong way, right? And they ask, well, 
how do you know our furniture's arranged the wrong way? Well, because that's not how I would do it, right? In other words, my way is the only way. By the way, you have just become a burden to your host, right? They're no longer excited. They invited you over. And actually, the wife just went in the kitchen to hide the dessert because they want to get the supper over with. They don't want you there anymore. Now, Paul described the proud man this way in 1 Timothy 6.4. Listen to this. This is so profound. He said, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strife of words whereof come envy and strife. That's the proud side of the equation. Now, the fool side of the equation would be like me walking into NASA with no computer education or experience and telling them that their computers aren't programmed correctly, right? I have no idea what I'm talking about, but I'm going to be adamant in my ignorance, right? Have you noticed that the last couple of years, we have a lot of people on earth who are adamant about their ignorance, right? On all sides of everything. They're just adamant about it. Now, whether through pride or foolishness, you can be a burden to those in your inner circle. When, when you don't pull your own weight, when you won't consider the needs of others, you definitely don't have the emotion of love that Paul is displaying here. I will not be burdensome to you. But there's something else you should remember about pride. Pride blocks you from giving love but it also stops you from receiving love, especially God's love. In fact, James 4 said, God resists the proud. That gives grace to the humble. And pride makes you feel self-sufficient. You don't need anyone's help. Pride also goes before destruction, according to Proverbs 16. Now, let's look at this next part, love's expression. So we're going to go further down in verse number 14. Look what he says next. He says, for I seek not yours, but you. That's powerful. Yeah, that's, a, that's one to highlight or underline or circle or whatever you do in your Bible. I, I seek not yours, but you. Paul wasn't looking to receive gain from his friends. He was simply interested in preparing them for the opportunities God was sending their way. And he offers this, this interesting word picture at the end of the verse. Did you catch this? He said, for the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And that's crazy. Yeah, do we have any first graders in here today? Any first graders here? All right, I see one right here. Anybody else? Okay. Axel, you want to help me out today? Okay, come on up here, Axel. We got our first grade representative. Here he comes. Everybody give him a hand. Cheer this guy on. All right. And we're going to act for just a second like Axel is my kin. And that'd be horrible. And I'm sorry, Axel. I don't, don't even want to have to pretend this way for you, but it's part of my illustration, okay? We'll, be, we'll get along with it. So I'm going to call Axel in. He's my kin. Yeah, and I say, Axel, we need to have a meeting here at the kitchen table. And yeah, so sit down right there, Junior. We're going to talk, and we need to talk. And from here on out, Axel, 
you need to start contributing to my retirement fund. Okay, so go get your piggy bank, buddy, okay? And uh, I, I want you to know that from here on out, everything's going to help me. Okay, now how many understand that's not usually how it goes? Right? Axel does not have a lot of resources on his own. Okay, he, he does, he's not making the big bucks yet. And uh, so I got to take care of his shirt and his pants and his shoes and buy his specialized hair gel that he obviously is using. So, um, <laughs> just kidding, mom. Mom's a hairdresser, so I'm just kidding her. Uh, you guys give Axel a hand. He did a great job. Thank you, Axel. Right? That's not usually how it goes, is it? In fact, I looked up the stats. Uh, because of inflation, which is kind of a dirty word right now, and projected inflation, uh, the average cost of raising a child born this year in 2022 to the age of 18 is, this is the average cost, $272,049. Wow. That's average, right? You say, what, did you send the kid to Harvard or what? That's the average. The, the thing is, the parents lay up for the children. That's just the way it is. Now, sometimes adult children are able to bless their parents in return as they get into their later years. And there are other Bible passages about that. Uh, but Paul's point here is that parents normally bear the burden of goods and services for their children, not the other way around, okay? Now, you kids, be careful about using this verse on mom and dad just to get a new iPhone or new iPad, okay? Yeah, that would be wrong if you use that verse this way. You're taking it out of context. Now, we don't do that around here. Hey, here here's the thing, though. If you invest in lives, if you're going to help people, uh, whether it's your children or people in your inner circle that you love, you definitely won't do it for the sake of gain. And Paul said, hey, I'm not loving you to get your stuff. I'm a spiritual father to you. I don't want your stuff, kids. I want your hearts to be at one with God. Right? There's something that I never do. I don't ever go into any of my kids' rooms and say, you know what? I really want that stuff. Right? Because if I did, I would have to clean out like 40 jars of junk in Autumn's room and then 40 more jars of junk in Sophie's room and then a pile of junk in Titus's room and then all sorts of junk in Holland's room. We don't want your stuff, kids. We want your heart. That's what Solomon heard from his dad. He said, my son, give me your heart. That he said it to his son. My son, give me your heart. We want your hearts to be at one with God. You think about this. Are, are there people you know who seek to leverage relationships for the sake of gain? I think that's a no-brainer, right? Most people don't have the expression of love that is found here in 2 Corinthians 12. They're looking for an advantage in every relationship which goes back to the pride and humility thing. Proud people feel like other people exist to serve them, right? Humble people know that they exist to serve others. And, and so the expression of love 
that turns into this third part that we'll talk about today, love's economy. And let's head into verse number 15 now. Okay, so verse number 15, opening words. Yeah, they give us this enhanced definition of brotherly love. He said, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. You catch that? I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. That's how real love works. Uh, Authentic love doesn't even consider what the return will be on the investment. It just gives. Uh, Clearly, if you talk to any financial advisor, this is a horrible investment strategy. But it is the very economy of love. I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. And we know this. Selfishness takes. It does. Selfishness takes while love gives. Selfishness is always trying to grab. Love is always giving. And we see God as the model of this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. God is love. God is a giver. Now, the enemy is the opposite of love. He is in every way a taker. His goal is to take lives, testimonies, futures, opportunities, relationships. Take, take, take. When you act like Jesus, you're a giver. When you act like the enemy, you're a taker. I love the verse from John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. One of our men reminded me last Sunday that February 3rd is called Four Chaplains Day. And it's in recognition of four military chaplains who sacrificed their lives Uh, to help save those who were trapped on a sinking transport ship during World War II. And and so I looked up the story just because I I was curious. The ship uh, was going from New York to an army base in Greenland. This is January of 1943. And it was torpedoed by a German sub in the middle of the night. Uh, The lights went out, panic ensued. The four chaplains calmly sprang into action. They were all from different faiths. They offered life jackets to men who didn't have them. They helped load lifeboats. Uh, Chaplain Good gave up his only pair of gloves to a petty officer. In the icy water, which was filled with debris and oil and dead bodies, uh, survivors remember men wailing and pleading and crying. But above the noise, they could hear the four chaplains standing on the sinking ship above them, preaching courage and strength. One survivor said, I was swimming away from the ship, and I looked back. The flares had lit everything up, and the bow came up as she slid under. The last thing I saw was the four chaplains standing there, praying for the safety of the men. They had done everything they could. They gave up their life jackets. They had no chance to survive. Uh, Another eyewitness said it was the finest thing I've seen or hoped to see this side of heaven. The ship, after being torpedoed, sank in under 30 minutes. 
And with the air and water temperatures, hundreds of men died of hypothermia before they could be rescued. Only 230 men survived. But they all remembered the chaplains linking arms, praying, and singing as the ship went down. All gave some, some gave all. The economy of love is not logical. It is not financially sound. It doesn't hold back reserves. Charity bears all things, it says in 1 Corinthians 13. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Charity never fails because it is the love of God living through us. Now, I don't know about all your relationships, but I know this. Your inner circle needs for you to be a giver, not a taker. Your inner circle needs for you to look at the needs of others before your own. The family in America is suffering like never before. Last year, over 40% of the children that were born were born outside of marriage. The number of fathers and mothers who are takers instead of givers has soared like never before. Over 50% of marriages end in divorce or separation. And some of them obviously have sin issues present that can't be reconciled. I get that. But other times, uh, we're no longer compatible just means we're tired of trying to give. We don't want to work at it anymore. And all relationships take work. Parenting isn't easy. Staying takes courage. Leaving means that I don't have to deal with the mess that I helped to make. We live in such a selfish society. Me first, me too, my rights, my dreams, not my fault, not my problem. We sound nothing like Paul in his letter to Corinth. I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. And we sound nothing like Jesus who came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom. If we're going to change the world for Christ, it's only going to happen through practicing the love of Christ, through being givers instead of takers. Now, let's look at this final phrase in verse number 15, and let's talk about love's expectations. So he said, I'll very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Oh, this is brutal. It's so hard to even read this. The more I love you, the less I be loved. I remember Paul's letter to the Colossians. He said, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You know what the only thing you have to do is for some people now to become their enemy? Tell them the truth. And even when you speak the truth in love, they'll hate you for it. And Paul said, the more I love you, the less I be loved. If you've ever given the full measure of yourself to other people with nothing held back, with nothing in reserve, with no caution, 
And you will certainly sympathize with Paul here. The more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. So you change hundreds of diapers and feed hundreds of bottles. You potty train, you buy clothes, you get spit up on and thrown up on and maybe even, well, you know, we don't really have to talk about it. Why? Because love. Love. And isn't it crazy that a baby's smile makes all the sacrifice worth it? I mean, think about it. That is like the lowest of low in expectations. I'm going to carry you in my womb for nine months, feed you, burp you, bathe you, wake you, rock you, and your smile is going to make it worth all the effort. That's crazy. That doesn't even make sense. When your three-year-old comes to give you a hug for no reason, it's all worth it. But when your four-year-old just out of the blue says, Mom, I love you, your heart melts. Why? Because the expectations of love are different than what you think they should be. Now, they're a big matter of discussion. I'm telling you, people are always talking about, what do I expect in this relationship? What could I expect from the other person? And there comes a point where the things that you would do for an infant become painful in doing for a five-year-old, right? Let's just take the diaper-changing thing. Well, let's not. Let's just not even talk about it. Let's just say that there are things that you do for an infant that you don't want to do for a seven-year-old. You don't want to have to deal with in a 12-year-old. You know, there are families with disabled children whose kids don't move through life stages like other kids. And they go through some tough emotional territory. Why? Because the expectation never changes. There's just love. And that amount of love is immeasurable. There comes a point when your kid gets into their teen years, and you hope and pray that they'll make good decisions on their own. And you don't keep the same routines as you did when they were small. But the love is the same. Now, why am I bringing all this up? Uh, well, I want to help you as we finish the message today with setting the right expectations for love. Yeah, this is big. Paul said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Now, what's he saying? He's saying that real love never says, if you don't start loving me back, I'm going to withdraw my love. If you don't start loving me in the way I want to be loved, I don't love you no more. Carnal love says that. Lust says that. Worldly affection says that. But real love doesn't. And setting your love expectations at zero may be the most difficult thing anyone could ever do. But that's what Jesus did for me. He loved me when I was hopeless and helpless. He loves me when I fail him and deny him. He loves me though I can never possibly return the amount of love that he spent on me. And if we're going to serve the people in our inner circle, 
we've got to set the expectations of love at zero. Now, obviously, I'm not talking here about continuing a relationship through abuse or criminal acts. I'm speaking of relationships in a general way. I remember many years ago, uh, we were on a walk with one of our older boys, and, and we used to live over uh, in Nampa, and, and for a season, almost every night, we would take a walk uh, about a mile down to the Dutch Brothers and grab the cheapest uh, coffee, uh, and then, which back then was like two bucks, right? And then we would walk back to our house, and a lot of times we'd take one of the kids with us just so we could talk. And I remember one, one night we took one of the older boys, and he was going through some things in his life, and he wasn't making the best of choices. And we had walked for about a mile, and he had not said a word, right? And uh, when he hadn't said a word, I really hadn't said a word either because that's, you know, kind of how I am. And uh, if you know me, the most I ever talk is right here. And then when I go off of here, I'd hardly ever talk. And, and uh, so, like, we were driving down the road last night. My wife said, now, what would you like to say? And I said, oh, I don't know. Sure, building a lot of storage units around here. I don't know. What am I supposed to say? Is there some cue that I missed here? And so, you know, mom's jabbering, and she's talking, and she's trying to keep the conversation going, and not, nobody else had said anything. And I remember Amy finally said to him something like this. She said, son, there's nothing you can do to get us to stop loving you. Even if you give us the silent treatment, even if you think we're senile old fogies for having your best interests in mind, we're going to love you. And someday, you, you may figure it all out and love us back and be thankful that we gave you these boundaries. But even if you never do, we're still going to love you. See, love doesn't require love in return. Love doesn't require love in return. That's why God is love. Because there's no way we can love him back. We were separated by sin. And only through Jesus and the bridge of grace can we ever come back to God. Love doesn't require love in return. Now, it sure is nice when you get it. That's why your baby's smile melts your heart. That's why a picture of your grandchild with some crazy face can make your entire day. But the rose of love has a lot of thorns. And you may not get back your investment of love for years or decades. In fact, you may never get it back until eternity. But you can know this. Anytime you offer the selfless love of God, you're doing what Jesus would do. Even if that love has to be tough, even if that love has to offer proper boundaries, even if that love has to allow separation for a season, even if that love has to let the prodigal run to the far country. I love the beautiful story that Jesus tells in Luke of the prodigal son. And the, the father of the prodigal went out every night praying that his son would come home. He watched, he waited, he wept. Why? Love. Not just any love, 
Love without expectation. Limitless love. It's not a love we can understand or express on our own. It's the love of God, full of grace and truth. And it's such a profound love. As we talk about the faith challenge today, I want you to know this. Practicing scriptural love on people near to me paves the way to influence. Practicing scriptural love on people near to me paves the way to influence. If you want to get influence with somebody else in their life, first, you got to connect with their heart. And if you're a taker, you will eventually lose all your influence. I've seen it so many times where a person is given a position in a company or a church or in politics, and they don't have any connections. And they're just takers. And eventually they lose all their influence. If you only form relationships so that you can get something from people, influence never even begins. But if you love without expectation and you put the needs of others before your own, if you listen with authentic compassion, if you will very gladly spend and be spent for others, if you'll do anything short of sin to love other people, then God will give you influence that brings others into his kingdom and glorifies his name. We're talking about a love for your inner circle that has some incredible traits. Now, let's go back through these. Verse number 14. He said, I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, but you. And then in verse 15, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. That young man went to his father one day. He said, Father, give me all the goods that are coming to me. I want my inheritance now. I don't want it after you're gone. I want it now. Give it to me. And the father gave it to him. But parents sometimes are like, what in the world did he do? Why would he do that? Love. Love that very gladly spends and is spent. And he got nothing in return. As soon as the kid had the goods, he took off to a far country, to the big city, to go find fun, to go find everything he was looking for. That lifestyle that he just was craving. And he got there, and he went into the first bar and threw down a $100 bill, and he had friends like nobody else. And he kept having friends like nobody else until he ran out of money. And then he had no friends. And he worked for a pig farmer. And he's out there looking at the pig slop and thinking, I wonder if there's anything in there that I could eat. I'm that hungry. And he said, you know what? What am I doing here? The servants back home are doing better than I'm doing now. And I'm going to go to my father. And I'm going to say, Father, 
I don't even deserve to be your kid anymore. Could I just come back like one of your hired servants? He started walking home. Just like he did every evening, the father went out, and he looked down that road, that long, long road, and he was looking for just something familiar. And he saw movement down the road. And sure enough, he recognized that walk. And the father, who's a patriarch, who never cracked a smile probably much, who never did anything out of the ordinary, hiked up his robes and started running, chugging down the road. And he's running down the road, and he's out of breath, and he falls on his son's neck. And the father, he just loves his son so much that he doesn't even regard the son's spiel about, hey, dad, uh, make me one of your hired servants. I don't deserve to be your son. He says, hey, get the fatted calf and kill him. We're having a party. Bring out the ring. Bring the robe. My beloved son is home. That's the kind of love God wants us to have in our inner circle. It's tough. Oh, it's tough. There are times when you love other people and they wound you more deeply than you could ever imagine being wounded. But it's because you love them so much. Right? And there aren't very many strangers that can wound you deeply. Right? I mean putting their cart in front of you at the wrong place at Walmart, that'll wound you for a few seconds. But when you have a child who wounds your heart, you have an adult in your family who wounds your heart, it's so tough. And yet, Jesus, through these scriptures, has given us four traits of how we love each other in the inner circle. Really, you take this as a springboard. Next week, we talk about how we love each other and serve each other in the church. And then the last week of the series, we talk about serving each other in our community. And God has some specific things for us to do. But as we close out today, I want you to focus in on what God has for you right now in this message. What did God give to your heart? What's the action step that you need to take from what you heard today? How do you need to ask God to change the way that you're loving the people around you. Is your love based right now on pride, selfishness, and what your needs are? Or is your love looking like the love we read about here in this passage? Let me pray with you. God, I thank you that we could come this morning into your house. I thank you for each one who's here. There's nobody here by accident. You have brought us all together today because there's somebody in this room who needs what your word has given us. There may be someone here who needs Jesus. They need salvation only by grace offered through you. I pray that they would know that Jesus is the answer for every need in their lives. And I pray that you would place inside of each of us the ability to love those close to us with this everlasting love of God, this love free of expectation, this love that gives, it doesn't take. 
I pray that you'd bless us now through this week and help us to love in this practical way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.